You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Deanna Lee. And I'm Evan Banks. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's June 10th. We'll open today's show with an exciting announcement. Jason Matheny has been selected as the new president and CEO of RAND. He is an economist, technologist, highly regarded national security expert, and longtime civil servant. Most recently, Matheny led White House policy on technology and national security at the National Security Council and the Office of Science and Technology Policy. Matheny said, quote, It's an honor to join RAND, an organization whose people and work I've so long admired. Since its founding nearly 75 years ago, RAND has been committed to rigorous, unbiased analysis addressing the world's biggest challenges. A new century has brought on new challenges and new opportunities, and we need RAND's help now more than ever. Moving on to research out this week. Results from a new RAND survey provide insights into how Americans view U.S. diplomacy and diplomats. Here's a rundown of some key findings. Overall, public impressions of U.S. diplomacy and diplomats are generally favorable. In fact, a strong and consistent majority, over 65%, of survey respondents said that diplomacy contributes to national security. Of the major functions of diplomats that we asked about, people were most aware that diplomats help citizens abroad. They were less aware that diplomats abroad have export promotion and business support responsibilities. Survey respondents identified understanding of global affairs and negotiation as the most important skills for diplomats. And many respondents said that it was better for diplomats to lead efforts abroad than the military. However, some Americans reported worrying that U.S. diplomats, while trustworthy, are politically biased. There also appears to be a limited public understanding of what diplomats do, how they are selected, and how diplomacy interacts with other elements of America's national security establishment. Racially or ethnically motivated violent extremism, or REMV, is a serious threat. To better understand this problem, RAND researchers used social media data to create a global map of the digital REMV space. A key finding? The REMV Global Network Online is largely created and fueled by users here in the United States. The movement is less of an issue in other countries. The researchers point out that the parliamentary system in many European countries gives far-right extremists a presence in the political system, providing a non-violent outlet for fringe movement adherence. Additionally, Many European countries have active intervention programs underway to address racially or ethnically motivated violent extremism. It's also worth noting that REMV is considered a post-organizational movement, meaning that many extremists are radicalized outside of an organized group, and the extremist groups that do exist are loosely organized. This suggests that a U.S. strategy to counter REMV should not be centered around key organizations and actors. Beyond this, intervention strategies must address the scale, depth, and complexity of U.S.-based racially or ethnically motivated violent extremism, 
In particular, solutions have to account for the fact that the problem has deep ideological roots and is closely intertwined with Americans' protected civil rights. America's new emergency mental health telephone service, 988, is scheduled to go live in just over a month on July 16th. Are states and counties prepared for it? According to our recent survey, a lot more work needs to be done. We interviewed 180 state, regional, and county behavioral health program directors who provide jurisdictional coverage for more than 120 million Americans. That's roughly one-third of the United States. Fewer than half of them expressed confidence that their jurisdiction was prepared for 988 in terms of financing, staffing, or infrastructure. Notably, more than half of survey participants said that they were not involved in strategic planning for the hotline, and only 16% reported that they had helped to develop a budget to support 988 operations. These findings confirm what many advocates and experts have feared as the rollout approaches. Communities throughout the country have not had the time or the resources to adequately prepare for the new hotline. Rand Stephanie Brooks Holiday, who co-led this project, said that launching 988 will require substantial effort on the part of state and local agencies to ensure sufficient capacity to handle calls and connect callers with local mental health emergency services if needed. The stakes are high. Untreated mental health symptoms are a pervasive and persistent public health problem in America. In 2019, around 39 million people in the U.S. were identified as having a mental illness, and fewer than half of those people received treatment. As people age, they often face mobility challenges and may lose their ability to drive a vehicle. On top of this, transportation technology is advancing in ways that don't always support or prioritize the needs of older adults. Consider, for example, the increasingly important role of the internet and mobile devices in getting where you need to go. Rideshare services like Uber and Lyft exist almost exclusively as smartphone apps, and even public transit is relying more and more on digital platforms for tickets and route information. A new RAND paper examines some of these challenges and considers how to address them. The authors highlight two approaches to improving transportation equity for older adults. First, adapting existing transportation services with the goal of reaching people who are underserved. This approach might be faster, more efficient, and more familiar than creating, say, an entirely new transportation system from the ground up. Examples include the presence of transportation ambassadors at public transit stops, These individuals would be physically present at a bus or subway stop to provide information or assistance to those who need help navigating the system. Another example, expanding the rideshare model to include assistance from the driver when a rider needs help getting from their door to the vehicle, and vice versa. The second approach is to focus on creating entirely new transportation options, such as delivery services that are tailored to the needs of older adults, or the creation of brand new public transportation options for those who can't use the regular fixed-route services available locally. These solutions would be designed specifically to help older adults who may be experiencing physical, 
sensory, or cognitive barriers that prevent them from accessing standard transportation options. Of course, there are many considerations, costs, and risks when determining the best path forward. But without investing time and resources in both these approaches, the authors say we risk leaving the older adult population isolated and alone. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more on today's episode, check the show notes at rand.org/podcast. We'll see you next week.